0: If you like the Maniac and the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. <laughs> If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit
1: ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff.
0: And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Monsters Travelers
1: I'm a 25-year-old med student. My identical twin sister is in nursing school. We were driving cross-country to Las Vegas partly to visit our aunt and uncle who live in that area, but mostly to just have a few fun days in Vegas. It would have been a lot easier to fly out there, but we had two weeks off from our studies and thought it was a good opportunity to experience other parts of the country. We saw the St. Louis Arch up close, explored the Onondaga Caves, had a drink at a saloon in Dodge City, and spent two nights at the historic, haunted Stanley Hotel in Colorado. We were on a lonely stretch of road in Utah when my sister first indicated to me that she was starting to get tired. I asked her if she wanted me to drive, but she insisted she'd be fine for a little longer. We had smooth jazz playing on the radio. It was very relaxing, so I laid my head back and closed my eyes. I didn't intend to fall asleep, but I did. I was woken up by a scream, coupled with the loud screech of tires and my seatbelt digging into my chest. When I opened my eyes, I saw my sister, her eyes open wide and her hand covering her mouth. I turned my head in an attempt to assess what happened. The first thing I noticed was that we were stopped in the middle of the road. Then I saw the bright headlights illuminating something ahead of us. At first, it just looked like a large bundle of laundry. What happened? My sister was in shock and shaking her head before she finally mouthed a few words. "Ah, I hit something. I looked at the bundle of clothes as my mind started piecing things together that wasn't a bundle of clothes that was a person I jumped out of the car and rushed to the person lying on the road the headlights were shining on them like a spotlight so I could see them well it was a small person a child they were lying on their stomach I shook them but they were solid and stiff I rolled the child over onto their back I wasn't even aware that my sister had gotten out of the car and joined me until I heard her voice behind me. Oh no. She was staring down at the child. It was a very young boy who couldn't have been more than eight years old. His eyes were open and lifeless. Is, is he alive? I looked back at my sister and answered her with the shake of my head. How did this happen? my sister shrugged "Uh, i i guess i dozed off you what she didn't even hear me she was focused on the dead body in front of her he he has to be alive she was panicked and rushed to the boy's body and put her hand on his throat feeling for a pulse that did not exist her face went pale as it dawned on her that she had hit and killed a small child I killed him I, I killed him I'm a monster she stood up and started taking a few steps away from the body my mind was flooded with thought as to what we should do I was disappointed that my first instinct was for us both to get into the car and drive far away from there the boy was already dead There was nothing we could do to change that fact. We were in the middle of nowhere, nobody saw us. We had the opportunity to get out of there without anyone having any idea that we did this. I opened my mouth to tell my sister to get back into the car, but before I could utter my first word, my sister's head exploded in front of me and her body dropped to the asphalt like a sack of potatoes. I then heard a loud crack, followed by a sharp pain in my upper back that sent me plummeting face first onto the cold, lonely highway. I tried to get up, but realized I couldn't move my arms or legs. And I was numb. What was happening? Before my mind could assemble the pieces of the puzzle, I was kicked onto my back by a heavy boot and saw a hooded figure staring down at me. I tried to cry out, but my words just came out as a wheeze. I watched on helplessly as the hooded figure pointed the barrel of a shotgun at my face and pulled the trigger.
0: Monsters. The Child.
2: I'm an eight-year-old boy. I stood for a moment in shock, staring down at my dead companion. The monster had shot them in the back. I could hear the monster cocking their gun. If I didn't move fast, I'd be next. My companion was a little girl about the same age as me. I didn't know her before today. When I was brought to the cabin, she was already there. They had a big metal collar around her neck that was attached to an 8-foot chain fastened to the wall. They did the same thing to me. I was on a wall next to her, but the chains kept us from getting within 10 feet of each other. There were three adults there. They were our captors. Two of them were female. They always wore lab coats. The third person was a man. He was usually dressed in more normal type clothing. They had kidnapped me and thrown me in the back of a van. As they drove up the driveway I saw a log home. I guess that was their headquarters. The little cabin that they kept me and the girl in was behind the home. They didn't come to the little cabin often. When they did, they would ask us a lot of questions and or feed us. They made sure never to get too close to us. They would toss us bags of chips or bottles of water or soda pop. They never told us what they wanted. One time, they shot the girl with a tranquilizer gun and then took some of her blood while she was asleep. Earlier today, when the two women in the lab coats arrived, One of them suddenly collapsed. She didn't show any signs of anything being wrong. One second she was talking to the other woman, the next second she was lying still on the floor. The other woman seemed panicked, but then she collapsed too, and she fell within reach of the little girl. The little girl was able to pull a set of keys from the woman's lab coat and unlocked herself. She started running for the door like she was going to leave me there. I begged her to stop and let me loose. I was crying and kept saying over and over that I wanted to go home and hug my mommy. I guess the little girl felt sorry for me because she unlocked me and told me we had to get someplace where there was a lot of people and we had to get there fast. We had been running for only a few minutes when I heard the gunshot and saw the little girl fall dead next to me. And I was next. I ran as fast as I could. The monster behind me shot several times. I swear I heard one of the bullets whizz by my head. I looked over my shoulder at the hooded monster chasing me. He was faster than me and gaining ground. When I saw a car on the highway in front of me, I hit a gear I didn't realize I had. If I could make it to the highway and get the car to stop, maybe they could drive me away from here. Maybe they could save me from the monster. I darted out onto the highway and stood in front of the car that was speeding toward me. I started waving my hands like a crazy person. They had to see me. Why wasn't that car slowing down?
0: Monsters, hooded figure. I'm a 64-year-old male and an epidemiologist. In my spare time, I'm an avid survivalist and hunter. I have a log home in an extremely rural section of Utah. The nearest town is called Russellville, population of 149. The town consists of a post office, a general store, a restaurant, and a pub. Over the past three days, the town has been overrun by children. When I say overrun, I mean specifically 17 children. While that may not sound like a lot, I assure you, it was enough. The children were all between the ages of five and nine. When questioned, none of them seemed to remember where they came from. They seemed to be driven by the sole purpose of reaching populated areas. The more populated, the better. And they were extremely clingy, constantly hugging those near them and sometimes asking to be held. This may seem harmless but I promise you, it is not. The children are infected with a form of virus that is extremely contagious, which spreads instantaneously through contact. Once infected, adults will unknowingly carry the virus for approximately two hours. During that time, they too will infect all other people they come in physical contact with. At the end of the two-hour duration, the infected will fall over dead. They never show symptoms of any sort. Death is sudden. I've witnessed more than one adult die while in mid-sentence. I managed to corral two of the children and contain them in my cabin long enough to study them and confirm that this is indeed a virus. The effects of the virus are extremely different between humans who are prepubescent and those who are not. Non-prepubescent humans show no signs of infection to themselves or others. They simply die within two or three hours. Prepubescent humans become child monsters, not in a savage way, but in a more clandestine manner. From the limited studies I've been able to conduct on the two children I had chained in my outer cabin, the virus attacks their brain altering their motivations. Their drive in life is to reach heavily populated areas and touch people, thus passing on the virus. This is the reason for their persistent clingy behavior. This is how they infect others. At this point, I'm not sure how long the virus allows the prepubescent children to live. Days? Weeks? Years? I really don't know. I can only speculate that the longest they could survive is until they reach puberty. Earlier today, my two assistants passed away. Neither were aware that they were infected. They most likely came in contact with the child's skin at some point during blood withdrawal. I was able to kill the female child before she got far, but the boy was faster and reached the highway. He was attempting to wave down a vehicle, If they stopped and picked him up, that would be it. There would be no stopping this. I don't know how the driver of the vehicle didn't see the boy waving frantically in the road, but they plowed right into him, no doubt killing him instantly. Unfortunately, the two young ladies in the vehicle came in contact with the child and thus were infected. I had to eliminate both of them. I have not been able to ascertain as to whether or not the children are aware that they have become monsters, but that's exactly what they are, and they must be destroyed. If not, I calculate that the extinction of the human species on Earth could be achieved in less than one week, at least for adults. All of the adults in Russellville had died before I left the town. I killed all of the children except for the two my assistants captured for study. Now they're all dead too. If these were the only infected people, it's possible that I stopped the virus before it could gain hold. But it's unlikely. I expect there is an infected child out there somewhere, in dire search for someone to hug and infect. Until death do us part. Husband. I'm a 35-year-old newlywed. I'm married to a beautiful woman. Too beautiful. She's what some might refer to as a blonde bombshell. Her eyes light up a room. Her skin is smooth as silk. She has legs that won't stop. Her voluptuous body is perfect she can have any man she wants in the world she chose me likely because i'm filthy rich and i'm okay with that don't get me wrong i'm a pretty damn good looking guy there's no shortage of women who would love nothing more than to stand by my side at the altar but i chose the most beautiful one i had ever seen I made it clear to her on our wedding night that if she ever betrays me, I'll chop her up into little bits. I made no bones about the fact that I'm the jealous type. I'll be suspicious of every move she makes, and I'll be keeping a close eye on her at all times. She can expect me to call her regularly to be sure of her whereabouts, and if she's ever somewhere that I wasn't aware she would be, she'd better have a damn good explanation. When I laid down the law, she gave as good as she got. She agreed to my commanding terms, but demanded the same in return. I was never to betray her, and this was not a you-can-look-but-not-touch relationship. She insisted that I keep my eyes from roaming and commit myself 100% to her in every facet. That was all fine with me. If I'm nothing else, I'm faithful. I was married to the most beautiful woman in the world as far as I was concerned. Why would I want anyone else? To my surprise, my promise to my wife was tested earlier today when my secretary of the past 10 years made a play for me. As I stepped out of my office for the day, she approached me I had noticed that she seemed sullen lately, but I didn't really care as to why. Turns out she has the hots for me and always did. She was heartbroken when I got married. I have to admit, I was shocked when she confessed her love for me and began kissing me aggressively. I had to push this dame away. What the hell was she thinking? I mean, My secretary was nothing to sneeze at, but she didn't hold a candle to my wife. And I told her as much. She started crying after I called her a psycho bitch. I didn't care. I was going to have to report this happening to my wife. She'd likely demand that I fire my secretary, and if that's what she wanted, I'd oblige. When I got home, I was disappointed to find the house empty My wife had not informed me that she would not be home. Unacceptable. I dialed her cell phone and actually startled a little bit when I heard her phone ringing from another part of the house. I followed the ringing sound to our bedroom. The phone was lying on the bed. Wherever she went, she must have forgotten it. I turned the phone on and scanned through her text messages. My heart dropped when I read several texts from some guy named Ken. Apparently he and my wife had a movie date planned for this evening. I sat in the cover of darkness in the living room for the next thirty minutes until my wife arrived. She strolled in as innocent as a nun. I secretly watched her as she removed a snifter from a cabinet and proceeded to fill it with brandy. I stealthily raised myself from my easy chair and quietly crept behind her. I held the hatchet high in the air and waited for her to turn around. When she did, I brought the hatchet down into her skull. I picked up the snifter of brandy she had poured mere seconds ago. No need to let this go to waste. I looked down at her exposed, cracked skull. Streams of blood were washing over that beautiful face. Such a shame. But hey, it's not like I didn't warn her. I decided to sit back down and relax for a few minutes before I started digging her grave in the backyard. I glared at her dead body and chugged down the brandy. Until death do us part. Until death do us part, wife.
1: I'm a 29-year-old newlywed. I married my husband for his money. He's probably aware of this, although he would never admit it to anyone. He's also a fine-looking man, and I'm sure he can find more than one woman to cheat on me with, if he has the desire to do so. He commanded me to be faithful to him, or I'd suffer the consequences. The truth is, my husband had nothing to worry about. I would never cheat on him and risk losing access to all that monetary freedom. I'm not a sexual being. I have sex with my husband when he requests it, but quite frankly, I'd be fine with never having sex again. Thus, being faithful would be a breeze. But what is good for the goose is good for the gander. I turned the tables on him and commanded his faithfulness as well. I wasn't interested in catching some whore's disease. He was agreeable and seemed sincere, so while this may not be the most loving marriage in the history of the world, we had an agreement that both sides were committed to. At least I thought we did. I received a message from an old friend of mine who I hadn't seen in years named Ken. He was in town and wanted to get together. Ken is gay as a blade. Due to that fact, I knew my husband wouldn't object. I picked up my phone and started to call my husband to inform him of my plans, but then realized that Ken is such a hoot, my husband would probably enjoy his company as well. So I decided to surprise him at his office, then we'd meet up with Ken together. It would be a fun-filled evening. When I arrived at his office and stepped out of the elevator onto my husband's floor, I was appalled to see him kissing his secretary, and that witch was really latched onto him. The nerve of him to make such a spectacle out of me being faithful to him, and in no time he's locking lips with his secretary. I knew what had to be done. I reached into my purse to text Ken and let him know I wouldn't be able to make our date, but realized that I had left my phone at home. Oh well, I was heading that way anyhow. But not until I stopped off at a liquor store to buy a bottle of my husband's favorite brandy. The house was dark when I arrived home. Normally, my husband would have been home by now, but since he's off screwing his secretary, I shouldn't be surprised. But he'll get home eventually, and when he does, a snifter of his favorite brandy will be waiting for him, with a hefty dose of poison in it, of course. I expect he'll drop dead within five minutes of drinking it, until death do us part.
0: the middle of nowhere. My name is Homer. I'm a 37-year-old outdoorsman. Ten months out of the year, I make a living from teaching people how to live off of the land. Two months out of the year, I put my money where my mouth is. I travel to the deep woods of northern Canada and put my life in the hands of Mother Nature. I have a small cabin I built my first time out there. Every year since then I add to it. At this point, it's a rather cozy little fortress. I tend to take my journey in the fall when days are comfortable and nights are cold. This little place in the middle of nowhere truly is my home away from home. And that's where I was when the invasion began. It was mid-afternoon, and I was on the shore of a lake fishing. I was having great luck and was looking forward to the fish fry I'd be having that night. That's when I felt the ground tremble. Large rings stemming from the center of the lake rippled against the shore, as though a giant stone had been dropped in the middle of the lake. A medley of wildlife emerged from the trees. Bears, cougars, badgers, raccoons, mice, just about every animal one can imagine, stood together in some kind of unspoken truce and settled along the shoreline. Birds of every species filled the trees, flapping their wings and squawking. None of the creatures were even acknowledging each other. They were all looking up at the sky, waiting for something. It was similar to people filling a stadium waiting for the kickoff of the Super Bowl. I turned my gaze to the sky. Thick, puffy clouds blocked the sky, but I could hear a subtle, deep hum emanating from the other side of them. Something was up there. I noticed one of the clouds above me started to flash blue and then a thin beam of light about the width of a pencil shot down from the clouds into the middle of the lake. It was a steady light, like a thin blue laser beam. All of the animals turned and looked at me in unison. They were waiting for something to happen. But what? Then I realized the thin blue ray of light was cutting its way through the lake, moving rapidly toward me. I wanted to flee, but as the light got closer, my mind was filled with thoughts not of my own telling me not to bother. So I didn't. I stood there and became a spectacle for the wildlife surrounding me as I was engulfed by the blue light. Skyscraper. I'm 37 years old and work in an office on the 88th floor of the Willis Tower, formerly known as the Sears Tower in downtown Chicago. I work for the IT department and was in the middle of helping someone change their password when the power cut out. I had experienced power outages in the building before, but a backup generator usually kicked on within 30 seconds. That didn't happen on this day. The entire floor erupted into a cacophony of frustrated groans, but then quickly escalated into full-blown panic when the building began to tremble and a bright blue light filled the windows. I think most people's initial reaction was that we were under some kind of terrorist attack. I know that was my first thought, but I quickly realized that this was something entirely different. None of us could see out the windows any longer. The light was plastered against the outside of the windows like light blue construction paper. The light was incredibly bright, but it didn't hurt my eyes. If anything, it soothed them. The light wasn't just an illumination like we all know. It was more of a solid object that was oozing through the windows. It appeared more as a gel that was slowly taking over the room. Everyone stood still waiting for the light gel to overtake them. Not because they wanted to, but because they had to. Something was penetrating my mind, telling me not to fear the light, commanding me to wait for it. I was frightened. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to run, but I couldn't. I mean, physically, I could turn and run. I knew that, but I didn't. For some reason, I knew I had to obey. I knew I had to wait for the light to overwhelm me. So I did. Farmhouse. I'm an 87-year-old man. I've been a widow for just over three years. I spend most of my time sitting in front of the TV, vegetating, waiting for the time I can join my wife. Hell, I'm 87. It can't be much longer, can it? Don't get me wrong, I've had a long wonderful life, but I'm ready for it to be over. Every part of my body aches. I wobble when I walk. I can barely chew my own food. I don't have any pets. My last dog died about a year ago. When my kids visit, they always encourage me to get another animal. They're correct that it would help me from being so damn lonely. But let's all be honest, I can die tomorrow and it wouldn't surprise anyone. Then what would happen to the critter? Nah, it's much more convenient for me to live out my days on my own. The day of the invasion was no different than any other day. I happened to be watching the news, so I got to see the only broadcast about... them... The broadcast only lasted about 30 seconds. The reporter was visibly terrified, but she did her best to explain what was happening. They came from out of nowhere, thousands of them, saucer-shaped crafts. Apparently, they had taken positions all around the globe. At first glance, they appeared to be smooth and metallic, but when the cameraman zoomed in close on one of them, it was no material I had ever seen before. The best I could describe the outer shell of the craft was like an enormous television screen. It wasn't reflecting light, as you would expect with metal, it was broadcasting it. Then the power to the entire world shut down. My heart was beating out of my chest, and I was becoming extremely dizzy. This was going to be the final day of my life. I could hear the hum of one of the craft outside, and my house started to shake. Not like an earthquake, uh, more like a vibration. The last thing I remember was the blue light radiating through my windows. Military Bunker I'm a 64-year-old army general hiding in a secret bunker under the White House. The alien spacecraft appeared instantaneously. This was not a situation where we could see them on our radar moving in. They simply appeared. We assume it was some form of hyperspace technology. We have been aware of alien beings for over 80 years. Yes, it was an alien spaceship that crashed at Roswell. Yes, we did house the wreckage at Area 51. Yes, we did attempt to reverse engineer the craft, but never got anywhere. The technology was simply beyond our comprehension. There have been numerous other sightings of alien spacecraft over the decades. Incredible sightings and undisputable evidence, both in photograph and video form. We've known they've existed for a long time, but we opted to keep the information from the public. Why? Because the technology the aliens possess is so advanced that if they were hostile, we wouldn't stand a chance. We didn't want that risk panicking the public, so the information has always been suppressed. Most of us higher-ups consider the majority of the public to be nothing more than petulant children who are waiting to do what they are told. We find it best to provide them with less serious topics to focus on. I'm not alone down here. I'm with the president and other White House staff. We had been down here less than 20 minutes when we first noticed the blue light creeping through the walls. The light is telling us what to do. For some reason we cannot resist. We must comply with their demands. We must obey. Space.
1: My name is Dorothy Cobb and I'm 42 years old. I'm watching the invasion from outer space. I'm in the mothership. I was seven years old the first time I was abducted. I had been abducted at least a dozen different times throughout my lifetime. I didn't start becoming aware until I was in my late teenage years when I started having nightmares of being paralyzed in my bed and being led to a beaming blue light. Doctors diagnosed me as having something referred to as sleep paralysis. They say it's caused by being caught in between a state of being asleep and awake, and that it takes one's body time to assimilate to reality. I had moments in my life that felt like they were missing. When I'd complain about these things, I'd be referred to psychiatrists. Most of them were quick to try to put me on drugs instead of taking my issues seriously. In my earlier 30s, I became aware of a small BB-type object that was just under my skin behind my ear. I felt like it may have been the cause of the severe headaches I'd had most of my life. I had a doctor examine me. He was perplexed as to what it could be. He agreed to do a simple surgical procedure to remove it. Once removed, the headaches went away. I took the object to the science department at the local college to have it analyzed. Turns out, the object was a combination of several different known and unknown elements and was complex enough in structure that it was determined to be a manufactured object. Earlier today, I was abducted again. Turns out that through the years, they tracked me. That's what that BB thing was, a tracking device. They had continually studied me and examined me. But I wasn't alone. This had been happening to millions of other people around the world. The constant surveillance and examinations was for a specific reason. To know whether or not we as humans had evolved enough to be useful. These aliens had discovered humans in an earlier, more primitive state and used them as slaves. Due to the underdeveloped nature of man at the time, the usefulness of humans as slaves had its limitations, so the aliens watched and waited from afar. Though humans had changed significantly from generation to generation, one constant remained, a slave mentality, the ease in which the humans can be taught to follow orders, to do what they are told, to obey, it's just as alive in the human mind today as it was in more primitive times. Now, with the human population on Earth nearing 8 billion and most humans having rudimentary digital knowledge, they can be useful to the aliens as slaves once again. Those of us who were abducted will be slaves as well, but will be held in higher esteem on the hierarchy of humans. Honestly, I find the whole thing terrifying, but my feelings are irrelevant. I have no say in the matter and have no ability to change any of this. The aliens insist that the human species will fall into line quickly. According to them, within one generation, humans will revel in their new role simply by knowing that they'll receive safety in exchange for their labor. The aliens have concluded that the human species values safety above freedom. The world as we know it is over.
0: We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. (laughs) Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey, everyone. If you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work, and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much.